you've actually seen Man of Your Hair's name on Giant Bomb before. A couple of years back, I did a back-and-forth series of letters with Man Veer, a feature I really wish I'd gotten back to, uh, talking about the state of game reviews and sort of objectivity and subjectivity and the influence it has on developers and writers. Anyway, he gave a talk at GDC this year uh, entitled Misogyny, Racism, and Homophobia, Where Do Video Games Stand?, in um, which he took a deep analytical uh, and statistical look at where video games are kind of at in regards to these subjects. Uh, Manvir uh, currently is a gameplay designer on the new Mass Effect, and he worked on Mass Effect 3. Uh, his talk was very well received. I didn't get a chance to see it, although my understanding is that you can now watch it uh, on YouTube uh, for free. And we did have a chance to chat a little bit about the reception, uh, so the substance of his talk. So even if you don't get a chance to check that out, there's sort of a smaller version of that here where we talk a little bit about uh, what he is so passionate about and what a lot of people were so passionate about at GDC this year. What were you hoping to address in, in your talk here at GDC? Yeah, so what I wanted to do was talk about like misogyny, racism, homophobia, and all the other types of kind of social injustice, and kind of take a look at um, like the actual research that existed uh, and what it means, like how, how does that affect uh, culture. So when we are putting like stereotypes and negative stereotypes in our game, uh, what does that do? But also, what percentage of stereotypes do we actually have in our game? Does it just feel like we have a lot, or do we actually have a lot? And so I actually found like media studies and things like that that showed, you know, the underrepresentation of minorities and women in video games by a significant margin. And then when they were represented, there was a vast uh, negative stereotyping on them. Um, and I used that to kind of build a case of like, well, okay, here are the actual facts and numbers. Like, this exists. We can't ignore that it exists. And then how that affects like your identity as a human being and how that identity changes. And then use all of that to kind of go into, and this is why I think this really matters, and here's the things that we can do to change it at the second half of the talk. So I mean, it seems like one of the things that uh, I've actually noticed is in a couple of different tracks is where folks are, you know, part of the argument for like diversity and like better representation is like, hey, that's just like, like the bare minimum, of, like we should just do that because that's a, a good thing to do to be a good person. But I've seen like Nintendo with their Animal Crossing made sort of like an economic content argument for why diversity like has helped the Animal Crossing series. It seems like you've gone to like more of like the like, hey, let's run the hard numbers of like, it's not just like a boogeyman, like they're, this stuff is real, like it's been documented, like we can actually look at this from like more of an analytical point of view. Right, and also like, I care about the trends more than an individual game. So like for me, it's never going like, well, that one game should have had a female character instead of a male character. Like, no, anyone should be able to make the game that they want. But when all of our games are kind of doing the same thing, especially in AAA, like, that we, we're, we're following these major trends of we're not representing, like, you know, uh, black men at all fairly. Like, we're making them kind of thugs and, you know, uh, and part of uh, illicit violence. Well, that's problematic. It's not that one game ever did it or two games did it. It's that, like... 95% <laughs> of the times when you see that character, it's done that way. And so to change those patterns, individuals have to change. And so if we can get a handful of people to start doing that, we'll see a better representation that way. And also, I'll make the creative argument, which is, especially in larger budget games, I feel like as an industry, we're getting a little um, risk adverse. We're seeing a lot of the same experiences. I know I'm getting kind of sick of some, a lot of the same games. And what I love about indie games is they're giving me characters and experiences I've never played before, right? Gone Home was a great example of that. Papers, Please, which I cited in my talk, is a great example of like experiences I've never had, and that comes from thinking of a character as different than the de kind of the default character we always have. So I also think we can make better games by doing this, 
and it's not a requirement. No one should have to go do this. It's just let's be cognizant of it and and make our choices consciously instead of falling back on what we just know and we just do it by default. And, and that seems to be like a big part of it is like this idea that maybe in fact some of like the creative stagnation is tied to just like writing about what you know and like what you've experienced. Like, do you? Do you get a sense that part of the reason maybe that doesn't happen is people are scared of screwing it up, right? Like, you know, what's what's the point of going and like writing about like the black experience if you're not black, and then if you mess that up, like, do you get points for trying just because you screwed it up? Right. So first off, if we try and we screw it up, we screw it up, and you're gonna, you're gonna get called out on it, and I understand that fear, but like. We screw up streaming in games, we screw up procedural worlds, we screw up art, we screw up programming, we screw up design, we have buggy games, and we also have amazing things on all of those fronts as well. Like we have some of the most amazing technical feats, design feats in games. We have some of the smartest people in the entire industry. So to tell me that we can't solve that problem because like we could screw it up, that, that to me go says that we're just not willing to put the time in to solve the problem. That we're not willing to go, well maybe if I'm a writer and I don't know if my character's really stereotypical, that maybe I check with other people. I, I show my lines and my character the arc and I, I check my assumptions and I make adjustments potentially to make sure it's coming across the way I want it to. And I think about these things. Like that's, that's just putting a bigger emphasis on writing and iteration and that should happen. Like we do that everywhere else in our industry, and we are far too intelligent as an industry. Um, the people that work in it are far too good to not be able to do it. So I feel it's kind of lazy cop out to go like, well, I just don't want to screw it up. I think that's just a path of least resistance. Is there like as you were putting together the presentation, uh, finding the trends, like seeing the data, like was there anything that was particularly surprising or shocking that that you found? Um, it turns out like. Female characters in one study that I quoted were, uh, I want to say, 14.7% of all characters in games, whether they're 50-50 in actual U.S. population. Like, I knew it was bad. <laughs> I didn't think it was 14.7% were, were women characters. Like, that's kind of awful. Um, so that was really terrible. And then the other one was, there was another study, um, and basically it looked at white characters versus black characters, and it showed that... Uh, white characters were less likely to be violent than a black character in, the, in this one study uh, that it looked like video game covers of. But it was like, I think when I want to say 85% of black characters that they looked at were uh, violent and 55% of white were violent. But the black characters that were violent were almost always violent in a um, socially or a, a violent and uh, criminal fashion. So they were thugs, they were drug dealers, they were uh, beaters, um, like they were not good people. But when white people uh, were violent, they were overwhelmingly like the heroes doing socially sanctioned forms of violence like war. So they were saving the day, they were right. saving Western civilization. And so it's even like, okay, well I knew we did bad with like black characters, but I never even thought about the fact that like, yeah, black characters aren't even heroic. They're they're never even heroic. Like it doesn't happen very often, and that was kind of disappointing and kind of heart wrenching to, to see. Like <laughs> you look at the numbers, and there was a couple of nights writing the talk, and I got a little depressed. I was just like, oh damn it. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years, specifically like the last two or three years, we see this at GDC and just more generally industry-wide, there's certainly a lot more talk about this, like raising awareness, and like that part is important, but you know, the next step is like actually like progress, like enacting change, like that seems equally, if not m much harder, like do you feel like there is progress being made, and, and like furthermore, like how 
you have any recommendations for like how other developers can kind of make this work for them? Yeah, um, I, I don't think progress is happening, but like we're still we're still not in a good place. Like we're still in a bad place on this, and we have so far to grow. And the faster we grow, the better I think we are, and I think the better our, our society and culture becomes because we stop reinforcing uh, negative culture that like perpetuates p social problems. Um, so things to do for me, I mean, a big reason I gave this talk was, and a re big reason I made the talk like logically formulated around numbers and science to begin with, like the first half of it, was to persuade people that this is important. And once you're persuaded it's important, then you need to persuade them to actually speak up on it and, get, and persuade other people that are important. So you want to kind of make kind of a, a little army of people who believe in this and, and will be willing to speak up. And so what I really want to see, my message for any developer, anybody who's in any part of the industry, is just have these conversations at work. You know, they're slightly uncomfortable sometimes, but they're so illuminating and you kind of, don't get mad, just have a nice, a nice sit-down conversation that uh, like an adult would and learn and get different uh, points of view and maybe see if you can convince some people and hey if you want to use some of this like the notes that I kind of put in my talk great use them as backup of like why you think that this point is important and the more people that come along then you can start affecting change within a company and you know someone's gonna do this in my opinion someone or multiple people will like do this and do it well and their game is gonna like go gangbusters and you're gonna all of a sudden realize that like Oh, this underrepresented group really wants to buy things. It's like it's how Dora the Explorer worked, right? It's like n nobody would thought like a little uh, Latina girl like show would blow up, and it became huge in the Hispanic community and in the non-Hispanic community, and it says a lot. See, I mean, it definitely seems like it's one of those moments that if if like one game proves it or a couple of games prove it, whether it's on the AAA spectrum or like the indie spectrum, that maybe then that opens the conversation for, you know, the numbers people to be like, oh, okay, maybe this does make sense. Because there is sort of an economic numbers argument, even if uh, that's sort of underlying some of this stuff of trying to appeal to certain demographics that buy video games. Right, and so the number argument, like I even talked about, was it, it's kind of ha has a has a problematic part to it, which is there was some research done at EEDAR, like a video game research uh, firm, and they kind of showed that well, the games with like women characters as the leads, exclusive women characters, well, they weren't getting the same budgets. They weren't getting the same budgets. They weren't getting the same marketing spends. Well, so now we can't really compare those things one to one at all, right? Like. Okay, how do I know it didn't sell worse because you didn't put as much money to market the game or because the game isn't as quality because you didn't spend enough money on it? Not that money is the only thing that defines quality, but it right. certainly helps you get there. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it becomes kind of a, like, I think that's cherry-picking data, but it is used against it. And so, yeah, we need, we need a couple of games to break out because this is a... Especially the bigger your budget is, you, you're more risk adverse, so you're more likely to copycat the, the big thing, right? You see it in genres, like one one game in a genre blows up and then everyone starts to gravitate towards that genre. Even see it in things like like Tower Defense or even Flappy Bird clones, right? <laughs> like, So it's not even just AAA, it's, it's kind of what we do. Um, and that's a whole different topic, but... <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think we will start. I think I want to see that game succeed. I want to see like two games come out the same year that were huge and uh, really, really, really succeed sales numbers wise, and they impact culture. And then everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I'm not scared to do that anymore," right? I think Tomb Raider is a good start with like female characters, uh, women characters in games, uh, and I hope to see more not Tomb Raider because uh, Lara Croft's been around for so long that she she becomes kind of the exception. So you need right. to start going. Well, what's the non-accept? Like, what? How do I show that this is, can happen continuously, you know, across the board? 
so we see we see a lot of this happening in, in in indies, and you mentioned Papers Please and some other games that you know gone home. You know, and the, sort of its characterization. Like, why do you think it is that we're seeing more of this in indies? Is it purely just a risk-averse argument, or do you think there are sort of broader trends that lead it here? I, I think there's a few things. I think um, I, I think the the fact that indies can fully control what exactly they're working on, whereas the second you have ten employees, even right, it's like, well, someone's probably in charge, and so if that doesn't match their like view in the game, you can't convince them. Well, maybe it's never going to happen, no matter if everybody else wants it. Um, and so, and then that just becomes there's more layers to that as larger, and you know, there's games that take a thousand people to make, right? Like I don't. Like the lowest level person probably could never affect any change, like at the top end of like a thousand person team, right. my, or very little change at least. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is there are a lot of a lot of groups who have been marginalized, who felt like they didn't have a voice, and they had no interest in going into the big budget space ever. They were never going to go there, and. The barrier of entry is really lowered how to make a game. Twine is a great example. Unity is becoming really accessible. Hell, Unreal just like announced a new crazy like licensing deal here. Um, and I think that's empowering people to go like, well, yeah, well, let me make the thing that speaks to me. Um, and I'm going to do that. And because it's a barrier of entry, you're just getting a lot more people who are able to do that. Whereas before, it's like, well, you might have had to go to university and had a degree and then had like, training and then you had a job for seven years. And then you were good enough to make the decisions. And like, that's, that's a long apprenticeship, right? Or well, actually, a short apprenticeship. But like, <laughs> now you can just like, I did this in college or I did this in my early 20s or I just changed jobs or I quit my day job and I decided to start doing this on the side. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I was talking to uh, Hugo Giard, who's the mission director yeah. on the AC series, and, um, you know, we were talking about how, like, part of the problem now is that, like, even though as you're starting to unpack, like, the systems uh, that have led to where we're at now, uh, it's not as, once, you've, once you become awareness and you unpack the systems, that doesn't solve the problem. And, like, for example, he's like, I've tried for years to hire more and more level designers uh, that are women on the AC team. But I have gotten a total of two applicants over the last five years, yeah. uh, and it's like so. Even when you want to increase diversity, which will hopefully like filter down to the creative and solve some of these problems you're talking about, uh, purely getting the people in place is difficult because we've, for years, created systems that don't encourage them to even want to participate. Yeah, no, I mean we. That's yeah. Our society as a whole has a giant problem with this stuff. It's not just video games. We are representative of culture that we live in, right? And so, yeah, like, women in, like, the STEM fields, right? It's a huge issue. Like, women aren't getting into tech, and it's, in it's increasing. But, like, yeah, if you don't have an applicant, sometimes it's harder. What are better ways that we can go out and try to get more women in and things like that? Um, I think lowering the barrier of entry, like, like I said before, like, the twine and stuff, is just empowering different people who might have been pushed away to go, like, well, I don't have to go through the traditional stream that pushes me away to do this. I can just do this on my own in my room, like in my bedroom. Um, that's that's going to be very helpful. Uh, and then to actually fix that problem, like, that's a whole different complicated thing. And it's kind of a chicken and egg problem because if there's more games that draw women and minorities and LGBTQ people to them, well, maybe they're more likely to get in the industry than have unique and then grow into the industry, you know, you know, 10 years later, right, they, they become the leaders in the industry and then they're talking about and then they're making the games exactly the way they want because now they're the ones signing the checks or at least, you know, at the, at the top levels. And so we, we need to hit it from literally all the angles possible, right? We need to get it from, like, the top at AAA, at the bottom, from indie, uh, from the workforce diversity, from any other thing that we can think of that could fix this problem. 
When are, when are Zoe Quinn and Porpentine going to get $20 million to make a AAA game? <laughs> right, and, and frankly, you know what? I, I don't even know if... You know, how, you know how much I would contribute to see, see either of them make something with a budget like that? That would be the most incredible thing. <laughs> but I think like the beauty of like what those two do like, is the fact that they don't have $20 million. I think like they make actually more beautiful, awesome things because they don't have to worry about, like, well, how do I make this money back? Right. Like, that's kind of awesome, and I think that's kind of... That's the core of what we do. Even the commercialization is just like the, how we persist as a capitalist society, and that that's okay. That's the world we live in right now. Um, but I I actually don't want to see that. Just just not because I don't think they deserve it, but because I I, I think it would actually hurt a lot of these small time indies who are um, so unique, so spirited, doing such a good job. Like. Money be, with money comes a lot of like pressure, yeah. and you can see it on Kickstarter, right? Like the games that raise millions of dollars on Kickstarter, a lot more pressure than a game that raised fifty thousand dollars, right? And people feel a lot more like that they have ownership over like the development process, even though like maybe they do or don't, depending on who the developer is. So, so some of the other stuff you're talking about was like sort of like uh, racism and homophobia, like how much. Because I didn't see the talk, I'm not exactly clear what you were pointing out. But like when you see these, and like it happens a lot in like comedy and games, where it's like it's really lazy and like using stereotypes of like uh, that end up being like racist and homophobic. Like, do you find that a lot of this is just because people aren't quite aware of what they're talking about? Like it's a certain like just ignorance that leads to use of sort of tropes in that nature that perpetuate horrible stereotypes? Well, so one thing I talk about is um, kind of the cognitive shortcutting that we do in our brains to group people in that create stereotypes, right? And what it does is it creates really fast, easy, accessible characters because this is the way our brains work. Like, you look around this place and, like, you're just grouping people in, like, oh, these people, that, she's probably like that because she looks this way and I, I've made judgments on this person as a result. And your brain makes natural patterns. Like, yeah, <laughs> you kind of have to work against what your brain is doing naturally. Yeah, yeah, your, your, your brain is actually, yeah, exactly. It's a natural pattern matching machine. It wants to highly put people into these patterns, and so we group. Um, and so, okay, if I only encounter a character for 35 seconds, what's the quickest way to give all the information about that character? So fall back on what you know about a character, and because we've all been kind of trained as a culture the same way from the same influence of media well we have a lot of the same tropes of athletic and violent black men and you know you know uh heroic uh white or sorry black men being violent and like heroic white men and uh women as being subservient or inferior or you know uh gay people being very effeminate right and all of those things do exist but there's a spectrum of people who exist outside of that too um so we just have to be cognizant of that uh, and then work against our brains to be like, well, do I want that stereotype for a good reason? Or am I just doing it because that's the first thing I think of and that's the default? Like, I, I talk about the default a lot and I think it's just about understanding what your biases are, what, you're, what you think you're going to default to. Just question, is that actually your goal? Is that the best way? And if it is because you're trying to be satirical, uh, great. Then it's an execution problem at that point. But you know what? Go for it. Like... But but don't just don't just fall back on it because you don't know any better. Like we we have to be a little more learned or understand what our biases as people. So what do you expect over the next couple of years? Like what do you what do you think is probably going to happen? I think we're going to see a lot more indies certainly getting better at this. Um, I think we will probably see um, a major game come out uh, and let's you know a console game let's say. Um, that will have a, a, a female character, a woman character, and I don't mean like just another Tomb Raider, I mean like something new or different uh, that, that will really break through and show that this is uh, be done. Because I think 
uh, women representation is so severely underrepresented, and there's so many women gamers um, that that is bound to happen. And I feel like someone's on the cusp of getting that right thing. So I think we're going to make steps, but you know, especially the big budget games, they take two, three, four, the projects are going well, five, six, seven years sometimes. So like maybe we won't know to the end of this cycle, which is scary. Uh, I don't know. I, I would hope that in five years from now, we're in a much better place as an industry, but I think we'll still have a long way to go like, because society has a long way to go. And we can affect one part of the culture, but that doesn't mean the rest of culture is not going to be... Uh, is going to be coming at the same speed. So, like, even if we did the best job possible, well, film and TV are going to still be screwing up and influencing us backwards.